Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to episode one of the Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Vidushin Mahanta Raja, and we've got quite a stellar lineup. Editor in chief of the Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Philip Walker. Philip, hello. Philip, hello. Yeah, yeah. let's just go with Phil. <laughs> well, I thought you know we're in quite quite. I don't know how to describe this room. It's a bit of a boudoir, and I thought I'd uh, be a bit a bit formal with you, especially with your glasses That's on. That's absolutely well. fine. I can um, take that. <laughs> magazine editor to my left, Joe Harmon. Hi, Vish. Joe, it's a pleasure reunited finally. And I suppose this woman needs no introduction, but I'm going to give her one anyway. Isha Gua, decade as an international cricketer for England. She won the World Cup. World T20, three times Ashes winner, number one ranked ICC bowler in 2008. Now across your eyes and ears, an international woman of media. Thanks, Fish. Isha, you're, you're a busy woman and naturally you're heading off to Australia soon enough and you'll be touching down in Sydney for the one and only test in the Women's Ashes for the 2017-18 series. Day nighter, pink ball. By the time this goes out, just to show you how the sausages are made, we'll have already had the first three ODIs. Mm. Uh, they cost two, they were well they're worth two points each. You got the test that's worth four, and then three two tennies mm. to follow that. I see England as favourites going over there. Um, I think you'd see them as favourites considering they've just won the World Cup. I think when you go down under though, um, it's a completely different kettle of fish, and um, Australia absolutely will be wanting revenge. Um, they <laughs> underperformed at the most recent World Cup. And it's completely different conditions, um, but really excited about it. The visa's just come through, so <laughs> I'm definitely going. Um, but North Sydney Oval, fond memories there for a lot of the England girls who played in the 2009 World Cup and lifted the, the trophy at that ground. But yeah, a, a wonderful opportunity for the girls to play with the pink ball um, at night as well. They've had a couple of warm-up games um, in the last month or so. They're obviously out there now. Um, but hopefully come the test, they would have spent a fair amount of time uh, in the middle and looking forward to, uh, to to beating the Aussies. But it always is a massive challenge, whether it's the men's or the women's game, to be able to defeat them on home soil. Um, but a wonderful series to have multi-format as well. I think it's great that they, they moved from six points to four points for, for the test because it really was heavily weighted and it used to be at the start of a series. So I think it's the right call actually to have it in the middle. Um, yeah, because in, um, in I suppose the last time England were out there, England won the, the test in Perth and basically just parked the bus for the rest of the it, rest of the um, well, <laughs> format series. It, it did yeah. get a bit close towards the end though because they they took it um, to the last few games. No, no Lanning at all. Is no Lanning. Um, she's having a shoulder operation because as we saw in the the Women's World Cup, she saw plenty of her. It looked like it was about to drop off. So. She's got one hell of an underarm throw, though. <laughs> she has. Absolute cannon. <laughs> but you can still take a single to her. Yeah, true. Yeah, uh, I think she had to just get that done. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we want her to remain in the game, which we all do, because she's such a, an exciting player, probably one of the best players in the world, um, that she, need, she needed to get that operation. Um, but Rachel Hayes is captain. She scored a bucket load of runs in um, the domestic tournament. Has that um, been a bit controversial? 
I think a lot of people would have perhaps looked at Alex Blackmore. Yeah, that, I mean, that's um, what... I'd... She has captained Australia before. I don't know whether it was a case of they already pinpointed Rachel because there was maybe a chance that Alex might retire after the World Cup. She's obviously not retired. That's all I can think of. Think of. Um, Rachel, of course, a year ago wasn't even part of the, the squad or the setup. So. Well, her, her first appearance at the World Cup earlier this summer was as a replacement, as captain for that mm. rather than a player. She wasn't in the strongest 11. Mm. So, yeah, no, it's, it'd be a strange one. Just going back to that World Cup, Isha, what what effect has it had, do you think, on, on women's cricket um, in this country? A humongous effect. I think now looking at it as, I would safely say, it's the dawn of a new era for, for the women's game. I think the power hitting we saw on display was a significant difference. Um throughout the whole of the World Cup, not just with the England team, but with uh, all of the teams in the competition. Um, the fact that the ICC decided to broadcast every single game um, was, again, significant. And I think they were repaid by the by the level of skill that mm-hmm. was on show and and the levels of competition as well. A lot of games came down to the wire, the semi-finals. You, you look at the, the final as well, which was completely enthralling and, and highly dramatic. Um, in terms of the finish um, and the knock-on effect it had on India specifically. Yeah. I think them winning the, the opening game, and Vish, I'm sure you'll agree, was a was a huge moment for the women's game. Couldn't have been scripted better. It could, really, literally yeah. everything about it. Um, Australia obviously will be disappointed they didn't make the final, but actually in England-India final um, was probably um, better for the game, mm-hmm. the global game. Um, South Africa reaching the semi-finals and nearly beating England. Yeah. Um, you know, the, it was it was incredible. The, the semi final itself, the the India Australia game, um, Harmanpreet's innings. Oh mate, was was the <laughs> for me personally that was the real thunderbolt moment um, in my appreciation of women's cricket. Uh, I've seen a number of games over the years, but I've never seen anything quite as thrilling as that. That particular innings and the and 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 the the kind of panache and the cheekiness of it as well and celebrating the hundred like that by screaming at her partner and going berserk chucking her helmet on the floor it was <laughs> high theatre in amongst thrilling stroke play as well and what was it fifty odd in her last fifteen balls something like that and then just rolling into the final as well I think she made fifty one fifty through the leg side you know you're talking about serious serious talent here and a kind of audacity as well driving that sort of talent as well. And, I've never seen a, a female cricketer bat like that before. Well, I've, it's the the one thing that's been lacking from from women's cricket has been arrogance. Mm. Ultimately, that's what it was. And she came out there and she just wiped the floor yeah. in Australia. Yeah, you know, defending champions. She she didn't care, did she? Like, I think that was the the beauty of this World Cup. As much as it was the big king, it was also part of it was just they were just so unashamedly brilliant. There mm. was no kind of well, you know, we nudges and nurdles and even even in the press conferences, Mithali Raj kicked off the mm. whole thing by slating a journalist for asking her who her favourite male cricketer was. Mm. I mean, from the off, it was you knew, you kind of sense this was going to be a bit different. It's, it's interesting you talk about yeah arrogance and swagger because it's it's obviously much easier to have that when you have the public exposure that the tournament mm. did, mm-hmm. uh, and you have people in the crowd actually watching these games and they're being properly promoted. Um, and it obviously that come that brings about swagger. Mm. You're 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 striking your stuff in front of people, and that hasn't always been the case in the past. And I think that was a significant moment. I really hope we see that in the Ashes as well, because speaking to Heather Knight just before she flew out there, and she said Australia haven't promoted the Ashes very well in Australia previously. They haven't really got many mm. fans along. But obviously, since the last tournament, we've had the birth of the Women's Big Bash. Mm. We've had a fantastic World Cup. 
So hopefully Cricket Australia really see a massive opportunity here and promote it as heavily as they can. And the day-night test, obviously, is the kind of the, the centrepiece of the, of the whole series. And I think they're very much working towards the 2020 uh, World, World Cup um, into, in 2020 yeah. uh, in Australia. Um, I think they want to play at medium-sized stadiums, but also big stadiums, so yeah. to try and encourage viewership. Um, that was another thing that came out of the Women's World Cup, was the viewership. Um, 180 million watching around the world. Um, the women's final it was sold out as well which is what we all wanted to achieve when we sat down what three years ago mm-hmm. on the steering committee to try and make sure Lords was sold out um, the most popular page on the BBC website mm. across the whole platform yeah. was the, the, the incredible when you think yeah. what else was going on that day yeah, yeah. Um, it just shows there is an appetite for the women's game and it should be invested in and the players should be rightly rewarded for that as well and on that you are writing a piece for uh one of our upcoming issues of Wisdom Cricket Monthly. Could you talk us through what you're planning to put together for us? It's it's regarding pay, isn't it? It's regarding fair remuneration now. Well, I think um, just the natural progression, really, is the players have shown that they can step up a gear, um, that there is an appetite and a hunger to watch the, the women's game. The skills are there. Um, teams are improving around the world, and obviously... They are being supported heavily by the ICC now with the, the Women's Championship. Um, they want to show women's cricket. And I think people are starting to recognise that we need women's cricket to for the game of cricket to survive. Um, Sachin Tendulkar has spoken quite openly about that. And um, you just look at the final, 50% of the tickets were sold to women. Mm-hmm. If you're, if you're attracting women to the women's game, naturally they're going to be watching men's cricket as well. So um, absolutely that will thrive. But going back to the remuneration, so the Indian women got paid a bonus from their board um, of just over 50 grand pounds um, before they even played in the final, right. um, which shows that they are being supported. Um, and the BCI are making a, a conscious shift to, to make to make sure that the girls are playing more. They're getting Long the overdue. right sort of marketing. Absolutely. Obviously, more can always be done. Um, Australia very much leading the way with their new revenue sharing model once they eventually sorted all that out. Um, and it is a fact that if you play in the women's big bash, if you have a season with a women's state side, you can earn more than what an England player is currently being paid. So... Um, it's it's not just England. I, th- I think all of the boards around the world need to be looking at their current models, in, respective to their economy, to make sure that players aren't taking the option in the future of, of wanting to go and play in a franchise tournament than playing for their their respective countries, yeah. which is what we see in the men's game. Sure, increasingly so. You know, you're very close to a number of the girls um, in, involved in the current England setup. Do you envisage a day where there may be a, a kind of not a defection, but, you know, becoming, in effect, a freelance cricketer. Um, and think, are there murmurs about the money behind the scenes? Um, I think people on a global scale have recognised that the game is moving at a fast pace. Um, the girls have always been grateful for what um, they've received. And even when I played, you know, we were very grateful for, for everything that we were being given to, to support us wanting to, to play cricket for a a living um although when i played i was so professional but um and doing about 12 degrees <laughs> <laughs> that's well done that um ultimately the girl there was a huge love for the game of cricket that's that's why we all want to play the game and 
I still see that with the young girls coming through the setup in England, um, which is absolutely But it's also a, a, a legit career as well. But it and, is. And, and people need to be paid, paid their Exactly. Their and, it, and it's important that the girls understand their worth as well. Yeah. And I think FICA and, and the PCA are doing a wonderful job at trying to, to recognise what people are worth, especially with the new broadcasters, not just the women's game, but the county players, the England players. People should be getting what they deserve. And it's our job, I guess, at the PCA to make sure that we're being used as an outlet to for the girls. If they are, are um, wanting to push for more, then they can do that. Or if it's you know it's not necessarily the money, it's it's about making sure that they are supported so that they can play at the highest level. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that's that's ultimately what it's about. It's about wanting to play for your country and do well for your country. And if other teams around the world are, are moving forwards and and are getting more time to play and, um, and are getting more resources, I guess, to, to help them become more competitive, then, then there will be a disparity in the levels of competition. And mm-hmm. that's ultimately what we don't want to have. We want to make sure players are being able to compete at the highest level and, and be the best team in the world. Talking of which, um, England are currently arguably the best team in the world. They're certainly world champions. Prediction for this winter? How do you see it? I think we'll win. I think it will and be... And the player of the... Series? Oh, uh, I'm going to say one of two. Go on. Tammy Beaumont or Natalie Siver. Solid. Bidushin? All in on Nat Siver. All in on Nat Siver. <laughs> you, you love Nat Siver. <laughs> one of the greatest she, things going. She is basically... Give her the keys to the White House, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> I don't want to say she's a freak, but she is, you know, she is an incredible talent. Hits the ball through her legs for fun. I mean, what more can we say? She hits the ball through her legs in a semi-final in a pressure situation to get off the mark. To get off the mark. And then can't see what the fuss is about afterwards. (laughs) That was what I thought was great. What? What? What's the problem? Get over it. I do this every day. Well, you know, you'll we mentioned there you're there. You'll be there for the women's ashes. You'll be covering it as well. And then you'll move on to the men's uh, first test underway, Brisbane, twenty third of November. David Warner's already said it. Like what? He said he's got to find the hatred as well. Joe, where do you find your hatred? <laughs> don't look at me. <laughs> I don't have any hate in me. I don't find I need a lot of hate to do my job. Uh, I guess that's one of the few ways in which I differ from. It's one of the ways Warner. you're better than David Warner, arguably. But he doesn't mean it, though, does he? That's the that's the point. Because he, he's gone all zen in recent years, and now he's had to kind of stoke up this fire in himself just because he feels like it's uh, some sort of boxing match kind of preview I mean the Ashes should, should like that, sell itself it, yeah. it is I mean I don't I, I don't believe it's genuine I thought it was disappointing that he went back to the comments he made after the Brisbane test in 2013 saying he had no regrets no regrets which is a lie because, is, he, because he did backtrack yeah and he's the, the line about he could see the fear in Trot's eyes he, he did say he regretted that so I, I wish I think it was a decent thing to do a necessary thing to do so to go back and rewrite what he said I thought was a bit a bit odd. I mean, he's obviously he's not the brightest. Um, I think that I think that is I think that is an element to it. He's sent out there as as this kind of go on, you give it to them, David, and then he, he comes out with some some kind of nonsensical stuff. But you know, it all helps sell the ashes. Um, it should be an intriguing series between two uh, two flawed flawed sides. I'm trying to steal Phil's line here, but you, you say it's just it's that two eight aside. It's an eight aside match, basically. Isn't mm. it? Mm. Yeah, I, I think, think England would win in an eight side game. Possibly England, England down <laughs> seven now. But yeah, true. <laughs> we are not talking about that issue. Yeah. Um, mm. 
Uh, just briefly, I was out there for that last horror tour and I was at Brisbane and I was at that press conference and I was around that kind of swirly, ugly atmosphere in the build-up to Brisbane, the Stuart Broad attack by the Brisbane Courier-Mail. The whole thing was ugly and vulgar and and I was confronted with a with a version of doing sport that I didn't really recognise. I didn't really understand it and, and I genuinely found it quite tricky to to stomach. Uh, and there was a there was a kind of red-faced wild aggression especially at Brisbane more than anywhere else and it spooked England uh, and it spooked me as well I've got to be honest it was horrible and and for Warner to revisit that so openly and with a that kind of a relish as well they've started even earlier this time around there's still another month and a bit from the time that we we're recording this to the to, to Brisbane and yet already it's begun and in the press as well Jim Maxwell the great Jim Maxwell saying England's batting lineups the worst he's ever going to have seen coming to Australia and even the great Jeff Lemon where are you Jeff even he's throwing a few few arrows as well so they've started early here Australia. But they, they see it as a formula for success don't they I mean, the 10-11 series the Australian fans and press turned on their side very very quickly and gave England a lot of praise almost as a way of kind of beating down their own team um which I think the England players really appreciated. I was talking about this um, with Dean Wilson of the Daily Mirror uh, for a piece Thank on God. writing and Wisdom Cricket Monthly. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he said the England players were kind of, were really enjoyed this. They were being kind of lauded by the Australians and a lot of the players who went back out there in 2013-14 mm. were shocked by how nasty it was. Mm. They kind of thought it'd be a continuation of that. But I think it was in response to the 2013 Summer Ashes having mm. back-to-back series, mm-hmm. Stuart Broad not walking, all this kind of stuff. They it built up, into, each a, other by that built up into a frenzy. And the fact is, however nasty it was and whatever we think about it, it worked. Yeah, And it worked and they think they can do the same thing again. And actually looking at England's side, there are those vulnerabilities. Yeah, it just carries a brief echo of... Um, Back in the late 80s when Borders, Borders mm. brought a young, raw team over in 85 and they were very nice and very pally and they went out for a drink with the England boys afterwards and they got, got beat 3-1 and Gower made a, a hatful. And then they came back four years later with Borders still in charge with a similar makeup of team, albeit four years older and a bit more grizzled, and they were horrible all summer. Mm. They blanked you, they didn't sign an autograph, they wouldn't do a press conference, they were smouldering for three months and they, and they beat England 4-0. Well, it, go back, it goes back to 2005 as well, that mm. Kevin Peterson, Shane Warne relationship, and mm. Shane Warne was told that he wasn't allowed to speak to him on the following tour. Yeah. Um, yeah. And ultimately, they, they whitewashed England once again. But it is a case of it, that last trip, they did have a secret weapon, Mitchell Johnson. Um, and and this, is, this is the key, <laughs> isn't it? Because if you look, first of all, have they got, the, have they got a bowler who's capable of doing that? Possibly. They've got quick bowlers. Have they got the characters through that side to actually be as nasty as that team were? And I looked through that Australian team and with the exception of Warner, they're not really those kind of characters, which is why it feels so manufactured and so fake. It was really telling actually. So Pat Cummins in an interview last week said that, you know, he would happily take on the Mitchell Johnson role and, and in his eyes that meant just bowling bouncers to right handers from around the wicket. Um, and then a week later, he was celebrating his uh, his graduation from business school. And it was like <laughs> you can choose to be one person and you can choose to be the other. You know, but he, you know, you can you can see through this veil very. He was very looking easily. rapid though last winter oh, when nice. I saw him, and the Australians were already talking about him for the Ashes. I mean, you'd be nice and refreshed as well if you played six tests in seven yeah. years. He's never yeah. played a test in Australia. Mm. This is his first first test in Australia. We're Brisbane, if he makes it that far. I think I think Stark is the key myself. I think mm, I think is. Stark is 
the complete fast bowler these days. And that horrifying should be banned idea of bowling left arm round to left-handed batsman which is obviously what Mitch did that last time out Carberry got a miraculous 40 at Brisbane and he had no right to even be there he shouldn't be there he should have just gone home he should have packed his bag and said this is horrible I'm already at the first get, get him up in front of the Hague <laughs> this is unacceptable <laughs> behavior uh, I can see Stark utilizing that angle Brisbane is is faster and bouncier than the Wacker uh it's going to be more of the same, isn't it? It really is going to be appallingly vicious and violent. If he's fit, though. Start. So he's got a couple of state games, hasn't he? Right, I, I, I wasn't aware of that. So, so. They're, they're starting to wrap them in cotton wool, because I think Hazelwood's missing um, mm. one one shield round for, for New South Wales. Right, yeah. Pattinson's gone. Yeah. Siddle's yeah. back in the squad. Siddle's bowling, well, Siddle's bowling well, really well in state cricket, and yeah. is now kind of back, in, back in contention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd be amazed if Sir doesn't play a game at some stage because history shows you those Aussie quicks don't get through a five-test series, two sets of back-to-back mm-hmm. matches. Uh, I think Siddle's got quite a big part to play, actually. Mm-hmm. He's always around about, isn't he? I feel like in 50 years' time, they'll be cracking him out of amber. <laughs> <to get back. laughs> so, so James Vince will be bat- batting three for England. So this is the thing. Point. I mean, I was going to, I was going to, you know, we were talking about Australia. We we're talking about all the mean things they've been saying. So I was going to flip this onto onto what England can bring. And already you're picking holes in James Vince. I'm not picking holes. I'm merely making a <laughs> making a statement of fact that James Vince bats three at Brisbane. It doesn't move sideways over there, does it? Oh, so therefore we're fine. Just driving on the other. Well, this is the thing, you know. The second test is going to be in Adelaide. It's a day nighter as well. And I was thinking maybe that's where England, you know, get their advantage back. It's going to be not as bouncy. There'll be stuff in the air. Probably. Yeah, it's I, a remi- different I ball. remember last time They've out win again. That, they? They've got to win that match to win the series. Basically, <laughs> last time out again, got got hammered at Brisbane. But oh, we're going to Adelaide, which is more our kind of pitch. A bit slower, <laughs> a bit lower. We'll be fine. Seven for two. Mitchell Johnson took at Adelaide last time out. Uh, look. I think we're all a wee bit anxious about, about this England top five, um, especially not sure exactly the composition of the middle order. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about that. Uh, but Vince is definitely batting three. It, it, it's a Bayliss call, clearly. And he's gone on a hunch based on minimal evidence across the board, really. Mm. It could have been could have been Wesley. It could have been Balance. It's gone gone with Vince. It could have been one or two others as well who, who, who he's... Sniffed a, a chance, never really nailed it down. Why? Why Vince? Why do you think? Ish? Why? Why Vince in particular? Because he plays a short ball well, and a number of times that I saw him this summer, albeit in the limited overs format, he was able to 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 nail those deliveries. But it's a completely different challenge in Australia. The the mental toughness that you have to go through. Um, they're they're going to be peppering him, but mm. they're also going to be hanging it outside the off stump. And and seeing if he slicks one through to the keeper. When um, you describe it, it just sounds impossible, doesn't it? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. you know, it's and, and this is born out of the fact that Joe Root doesn't want to bat at three. Yeah. So someone has to go in there. The the other one is, and you're talking about Adelaide. I think they will go with David Milan at five initially because of how he played in the day night match at Edgebaston, right. and he negotiated that period under lights. He had a had a go um, against the pink ball and and he was able to to withstand that for and, for a period of time and a couple of fifties, albeit not with a very good test record mm. so far, counts for a lot in comparison to lots of other players yeah. not getting very many. But that will be a test for Joe Root as well because he obviously wants Gary Balance in the side, but it probably should be David Milan that gets the opportunity. 
For me, yeah, I think it's. Have they got two warm ups before they? Yeah, the and then there's. Uh, I think that yeah, there's a couple, and then there, there was actually a warm up between Adelaide and Perth. You know, generally it was that game where England would get their pants pulled down by a representative side as well, and Goward flying tight well, off they, over there. But they don't do that, I don't because <laughs> after ten eleven, where well, they gave us proper competition, oh, yeah, and we beat them, now yeah, they give yeah. us rubbish opposition, it's so you've got cricket. no idea what's going to happen. Well, well the, the warm-up between Adelaide and Perth is termed as a Cricket Australia 11, so that could be someone in head office, for example, that's <laughs> the receptionist and the, and the mailman, for all we know. Really testing James Vince outside of yeah. Trump. <laughs> but, but, you, you know, we, let's, let's talk about this. I'm, I've got a lot of faith in Mark Stoneman up top, I think he's, you know, he's, there's, there's a lot about him mentally that I, I, I quite like, and also you only need to look at his first-class record was it six seasons in a row of four figures in first-class cricket knows his game 30 as well I think it's about timing and it's interesting that Cook came out and Mm. said of all the opening partners that he's had in recent years post Strauss he's the one that he fancies the most I'm paraphrasing yeah (laughs) (laughs) and I I think there's a lot to be said for that you know Mark Stoneman he's one of those people you imagine who knows exactly what his you know pre and post ball routines are you know he's it's just so grooved in him that I think he just looks up and sees the bowler coming in, leaves it, walks away to square leg, and mm. comes back. A- yeah. Atherton said he's a natural player yeah. as yeah. well, and he was saying it in contrast to to Keaton Jennings, who had, who had become very mechanical by the time he was removed out the side. But you do see that with Stoneman. There is a kind of fluidity to the way that he plays, and he's reasonably tight as well. I've, Joe and I are fortunate enough to work at the Oval, so we saw him bat a lot in the last summer. Uh, there's a kind of good mixture of fluidity and solidity, you know, and he's glorious really offside, uh, and he looks like he's pretty tight in defence as well. Mm. Uh, yeah, there is a good feeling around him, but we just can't no dissipate as you go down the order. Well, <laughs> it's just just so unknown. Yeah. I mean, rarely can an England side have been going to, going to an Ashes holding the Ashes, so unsure of their top five or six. Yeah, I mean, the ideal scenario, when you're going to Australia, you're playing against an Australian side on home soil, you have to have players who've been there and done it, yeah. have got the confidence, of built that experience of, of playing against good bowling attacks and, and doing well against them. Um, I suppose we, that just was, haven't, we just don't have that. Yeah, do that, that was the motivation behind selecting someone like James Vince, because they clearly didn't want to go into an Ashes series in Australia with... A load of uncapped players, and for now they go there with Mason Crane and Craig Overton, who have who have got Ben Folks as well. Ben Folks, yeah. Ben, so ben is uncapped ben... un- worse than capped, and well, I mean, this, yeah, exactly. I mean, that that yeah, is what they've gone back to. Yeah. And he also, it's worth remembering who he had the opposition at that summer. He played uh, Sri Lanka and Pakistan on home series, not a great Sri Lankan seam attack. He had the best chance to get runs out of a lot of these guys. Um, Milan had a, a pretty tough summer against actually what. Would, turned out to be quite a good West Indies pace attack and obviously the South Africans. Uh, Tom Wesley similarly had quite a, a, a tough summer in the end, uh, whereas Vince had an easier summer and didn't get the runs and we've gone back to him. I think it's, um, well... It's a bit cool. It, if I was, yeah, if I was Sam Northeast or Joe Clark or Dan Lawrence, I'd be feeling pretty pissed off. So now that we've we've torn into the batting, what about the bowlers? Who should we skewer them? Well, I mean, we, we, we can't talk about the man who, who sh- shall not be named um, for many reasons, some of them legal. But in, in his his replacement, Stephen Finn, lest we forget, was the leading wicket taker in ten eleven when he was take well, I suppose when he was dropped essentially in ten eleven. Mm-hmm. Then thirteen fourteen went over there and left, you know, seemingly forgetting 
how to hold a cricket ball. Quote unselectable. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel quite excited. I saw him take eight for a, a Lords yeah. to get rid of Lancashire. It looked a million bucks then. I'd love to see him have, play have you some ever part. Seen, have you ever seen a bowler in your time following the game professionally who is more susceptible to the vagaries of rhythm of Stephen Finn? I no, mean, when, I, he, when he's on it, yeah. as you say, when he's on it, he's, he's glorious. Mitchell Johnson. Mitch is a, is a very, very good yeah. shout, actually. Mm. Mm. Uh, but when he's off it, Stephen Finn, who I adore as a bloke, incidentally, you know, he's, he's written diaries for previous magazines that Joe and I have been involved in. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's a very, you, you know him a little bit as well, don't you? He's a very genial, amiable kind of ca- character, and you want him to do well. Uh, but sometimes you fear for him. You're never quite sure which, which version's going to show up. He's like a kind of Andy Caddick-type character, although, of course, Caddick did it pretty well over, a, over quite a long period of time. Um, I'm glad to see him in the squad. But it's hardly a confidence boost not to pick him yeah. and then to add him to the squad. That's not, not least someone... we put some money on him being in the, yeah. the squad. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is the, the reason I mentioned Finn there is because... You know, you've got Allison and Broad up top. I don't think Allison's going to play every test, and I feel like he will definitely. He's definitely playing at Adelaide. Yeah. Definitely playing at Melbourne. He'll play at Brisbane as well. Playing at Brisbane. So is he going to play? What do we? I, I had him penciled in for four of the five, and those are my three bankers because I, I just can't. He, he, he might. He maybe might I'm, giving, I'm not giving Perth. enough credit. Yeah. He might step away from Perth. All I would say on Anderson, it's all naked eye stuff. But he looked as fit as a fiddle towards the back yeah. end mm. of the summer, um, and the age thing. It plays a part, but if you look at him as a as a physical beast, you know he remains completely lithe, agile. You know, a kind of twenty five year old and a thirty five year old body. You know, um, he will certainly want to bowl over twenty five days of Test cricket. Mm. No question about yeah. that. And he does have an you know exceedingly big power within that within that team setup. If he's if he wants to play at Perth, he'll play at Perth. But that's the one. Maybe I think I think he might. Yeah, I think away. if Anderson doesn't play in any of the Test matches, we're in trouble in that Test match. I think our backup Finn's obviously in there now with experience, but our backup bowlers of Overton, Crane, uh, who else was there initially? Ball. Yeah. Well, that's that was two two Test matches between the three of them going to Australia. I mean, that's why I thought it was mad that Finn wasn't in the squad in the first place. Were you surprised, no Liam Plunkett? A little bit. He just hasn't played much first-class cricket, has he? I mean, and he didn't have a good year in 2016 when he did play a bit more. He's very handsome, though. He is very handsome. <laughs> yeah, I think he's brooding he, kind I of normal. Just on that, he would have been the best-looking bloke on that tour. <laughs> I Take agree. Many folks, perhaps. But. Yeah, th- th- we talked about this in depth in the office. There's issues around folks' teeth, apparently, but I don't personally see it. I think he's gorgeous. No, Incidentally, yeah. on folks, um, he's my breakthrough player for this winter. I think. I think Ben Folks. Will will play a test match as a batsman at some yeah. point over these five. He averages forty five in first class cricket. He gets runs all day long in all formats. Um, he made a hundred for the Lions over the summer. I think he's he's going out there sure as reserve keeper, but I also think he's going out there as reserve batsman. Yeah, hundred percent. I'd agree with that. Three. I'd be surprised if he doesn't play a test match. Probably Sydney. Oh, we were coming to this, weren't yeah. we? <laughs> when, when the wheels are off, yeah. Our, our Vice captain in there. <laughs> yeah. do, do we have our team for Sydney then? Just for we're a doing the whole team. Well, yeah, well, that'd be a good place to start. I've, I've, I've put it here in the running order as top six for Sydney in brackets when it all goes Pete Tong. Yeah, lovely. So, or maybe when we're 4 0 up and we can afford to arrest oh, yeah. a few players. I like your optimism. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> well, well, let's start with an easy one. Men of the series. You know, you mentioned Fogg as your, as your breakout player, but who do you reckon? 
on both, let's talk on both sides here. Who's going to emerge as, as the man that will be For me, the most important players in the series are Stark and Anderson. If, if Stark's man of the series, Australia win comfortably. Uh, if Anderson's man of the series, then, then we're in with a really good shout. Ish. Oh, <laughs> I think you should come back to me. Right, well, I, well, Joe, Joe. All right, well, I think I kind of agree with Phil on Stark, but I think Cummins as well. I think those, those two hold the key for mm-hmm. Australia. Um, and for England, I think Moen, um, not so much with the ball. I haven't I th- mentioned him. We I haven't think, mentioned I think it's a Ali. big ask for him to do much with the ball or to, to take loads of wickets with the ball in Australia. It's not ideal for off spinners. But I think with the bat, I think we'll see him moving up the order as the series goes on. Again, coming to a Sydney top six, I think he'll be in it by Sydney. Um, and I think obviously with certain players perhaps missing, uh, he's got a, a doubly big job on his hands. But I just thought this summer was, he, he's obviously been excellent for a few years now, but I thought this summer was just an, on another level. Um, watching him bat in a wet, dark ODI at the end of the summer, which didn't really matter against West Indies, but he just looked so in control. And I think he feels really happy with his role in that side now. So it's probably time to change that role and move up and down the order, as, <laughs> as, as, as we tend to do. But I think yeah, yeah. it's a moan for me. I wonder how he's going to... I mean, invariably, he's not going to get a single ball in his half, is he? You know, all the talk of him against a short ball early on in his career, I think if he gets one drive away in his first hour of play, I think he'd be... Uh... Probably, but if, unless if he takes it on and gets to, tw- and gets to 20, yeah. then, then, the change, then the plans have to change, and then they will have to start bowling. But I think he's... he's Far from a one-dimensional player, isn't he? I think that's mm. that's the thing. He might have a weakness against the short ball, but lots of batsmen do and cope with it. Yeah, and it's not like Morkel didn't sniff him out over the summer as well. You know, but one or two reasonably sharp pitches. Yeah. It's not going to be quite the same. Yeah, but he's he's got enough game. No yeah. question about it. But Morkel's. I mean, Morkel was bowling as well as I've ever seen in this summer. Yeah. Moen cope with him beautifully. Yeah. Ish, have you made okay, your call? Okay, yeah, I have. Okay, so this is a bit of a long answer. So I think the biggest difference between the two sides is in the batting is England's obviously top order um, but our middle order has been weakened slightly um, <laughs> but has been our kind of backup and have, have got us out of a lot of tough situations and I'd back them to to do well for Australia you would say their middle order is perhaps a bit weaker but actually they're, I'd say that they're looking strong but for me the the Whoever wins is going to come down to the support bowlers. Okay. So, James Anderson, we know that if he plays, he's going to bowl well. Mitchell Stark, if he plays, he's going to bowl well. I saw Josh Hazelwood last winter in Australia, and he was metronomical. Yeah, he's special. Every single ball was on the right length and line. Um, So, if he's able to support Stark, then it's going to be hard for England players to get get away. Um, If Broad is able to support Anderson... And remember, he he played really well in that Brisbane match. He took six for on yeah. day one at yeah. Brisbane. And that, and then was that pretty much set that. up the tour for him because, remember, everyone targeted him specifically yeah. in the papers. He turned up in the press conference with a copy of the paper, yeah. his arm, did, which he? was yeah. quite a nice touch, I thought. Um, but Wokes and, and the rest of the support bowlers, if they're able to, to get behind Jimmy and not leak so many runs, then I think that's going to be absolutely vital. Um, especially when you've got a David Warner in the opposition who can score 100 mm-hmm. in a session. Mm-hmm. Wokes is an interesting one, wasn't he? Because this Very time, this time last year, he was <laughs> unbelievable, mm. bowling brilliantly. 
but he's had quite a serious injury setback. But he seemed to be kind of finding some form mm. towards the end of that summer. But I agree, I think he's a really, really crucial part of that attack because if he can't play many games, then I don't have a huge amount of faith in the backup bowlers to come in in his it's place. It's a blow to lose Ronan Jones. Yeah, it is, massive. yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he could have done a kind of Hazelwood light sort of role, really. Very accurate, very up and down. That is a blow to have lost him. Yeah. Top six for Sydney, gone. When it when it goes wrong, when we're picking Scott Borthwick because he was playing in Melbourne, or picking, we thought he dropped Monty after one test. Boyd Rankin's in there as well. Or, or top we? six. Yeah. Oh, yeah might as well got, get, him, get him in there. Get him I, in I've, there. Got, Ed, I've got Edrich, Caldry, <laughs> close. <laughs> I've got Pete um, Tammy Beaumont. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All right, okay. Cook, Stoneman, Balance, Root. Bearstow, Folks, Ali. That's my top seven. Folks in at so six. Folks above to, to debut. Seven. Yeah, Folks in at six to debut. Um, Balance in at three because he didn't play at the first, for the first two or three games. Stoneman's still in there because I think he's hung in there and he's done a Carberry, maybe even with a little bit more on top. Root stays at four because Root bats at four. Root bats at four. Root bats at four. And Bearstow in there at five. All right, I've got Cook, Stoneman... Root at three, who has finally bowed to pressure Ooh, and decided that he sure? will that he will go up to three. Balance comes in at four because others have made way, uh, and then best out at five. Moen at six, and you have got folks at seven. A specialist, non-keeping batsman at seven in folks. Ish gone. I like that root theory. Cook, Stoneman, Root, Balance, Bearstow, folks, Ali. We're all going for folks. Yeah, I like this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mine, mine will be Cook, Stoneman, Moe Nally at three. Oh, lovely. Because <laughs> Root wants to bat four. Lovely. Bearstow's moved up to five, and, and uh, yeah, folks is in there at six. Can you imagine Moe Ali as a successful number three? Oh, but doing exactly be... the same thing. No, it, sure. Eight, yeah. It would just be exquisite, beyond words. Gower and Said Anwar <laughs> all rolled into one. <laughs> 2017. Oh God. We'll save that for the Hagley Oval. Um, we'll take a short intermission before returning in a few moments. Welcome back, and uh, you'll know uh, we've well, certainly we touched on it earlier in the piece about a, a new magazine to hit your shelves, the Wisdom Cricket Monthly. All our cricket, after 157 issues, is no more. The Wisdom Cricket Monthly lives again. Phil, I'm going to throw to you straight away. What have you done with AFC and why? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we've we've wrapped it up uh, after, as you say, 157 goes. Um, uh, seven and a half million words were written across those 157, a broad estimate. Uh, How many from your hand? I'd say a good 30%, Joey Harmon 35. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've, we've moved into partnership with, with Wisdom. Um, uh, we've been involved with Wisdom for the last two or three years under AOC, under All Out Crickets guys. We had a Wisdom section in, in that magazine. Uh, and this opportunity came, came about to resurrect Wisdom Cricket Monthly. Wisdom Cricket Monthly was on most cricket lovers' doorsteps, you know, throughout the 80s and the 90s and so on. Um, well, we are bringing it back. Uh, the, the responses within, within cricket, within the industry, have been universally uh, excited, I would say. Yeah. We've had some, some lovely... Really encouraging, you say. Yeah, some, some lovely encouraging words from a lot of very important people. Um, 
We've built up an editorial board as well to, to help Joe and I steer the thing, um, one of which is sitting to, to my left here. Uh, Isha Guhar is on our board, along with various other luminaries. Obviously, Lawrence Booth, as Wisdom Armanac editor, he's on board as well. Bumble's joined us, Paul Allett's joined us, Ali Mitchell's joined us, Christian Ryan has joined us, the, oh, the great Christian Australian uh, scribe. Uh, and so, we, I dare I say, it's exciting times. We have two weeks to go before we go to print on this first issue. It's 116 pages um, of hopefully uh, exquisite glory. We'll have to wait and see, but that's, that's how it's playing out at the moment. I want to add that the spirit of All Out Cricket uh, and the the kind of devotion to the game that All Out Cricket always stood for uh, will hopefully be carried on and, and will be faithfully replicated in this new version. They are distinct magazines, they will, the look and feel will be very different, but the essential spirit of, of, of AOC will live on in WCM. Joe, this will be the mm. time to throw it to you. You're officially the editor of the Wizard Cricket Monthly. Phil's just mentioned Lawrence Booth there. Am I right? I'm thinking there's a, a Booth cover story in your There is. Well so, yeah, we've got obviously a couple of weeks before we go to print. So, I don't want to make big promises that we can't <laughs> fulfil, but um, <laughs> Lawrence. We've done that before. Yeah, we have. Uh, but, yeah, the cover story, all being well, is Lawrence is interviewing Joe Root shortly before he heads off to Australia. And obviously, because it's Lawrence Booth, it will be absolutely brilliant. Um, so, very much looking forward to that one. Um, other things, we've got a big retrospective on the 2010-11 Ashes series. That speaking. went quite well from what I remember. Yeah, as, as, as I'm remembering. It's been yeah. really nice actually going back to this because I was there for the whole series and reminiscing and speaking to some of the people out there. Spoke to Barney Douglas, the ECB's former video producer who was part of the Swanee Diary, which was such a huge thing and looking back on it, I wasn't aware of it, how ahead of its time it was and also the access you got I mean Barney was saying they would do the video send it straight out ECB didn't even see it before they put it on YouTube I mean can you imagine that now <laughs> um, so that's a nice retrospective speaking to some of the big players involved um, I spoke to Mike Brearley, Mike Brearley. Around, around his new book uh, Brearley on Form the vagaries of form what, what it is to be in and out of form and how that how it's a reflection of one's one's life as well as one's one's sports one, and and not just confined to sport either. In, incredible piece of work. And I spoke to him. I had, a, I had the privilege of a 45-minute chat with, with him. So that interview will be going into that first issue. Joe and I, check this out, are going to Rwanda in a week. Oh, yeah. oh mm. the Rwanda Cricket Foundation. Yeah. Um, stadium Foundation. Yeah. Yes. So we're, we're covering that monumental story, really. And Lara is out there and Michael Vaughan is out there as well, so we'll be getting some good stuff from those two. I was going to say, there must be a game going if you're, if you're heading out there. Yeah, naturally, this year, naturally. Yeah. I'm batting five, Lara can bat six. Yeah. Root at four. I think so, because that's, that's where he bats. That's where he bats. Isha, I have to ask, why, why did you agree to join this little venture of um, ours? Because we get to hang out in boudoirs like this. <laughs> <laughs> On Greek Street in Soho, folks. You wouldn't get this in all that cricket, would you? <laughs> Um, no, just, yeah, obviously a lot of tradition and history associated with the magazine and um, I think it'll help me keep in touch with what's going on in the, the world of cricket as well, um, as hopefully being able to have some sort of impact as Undoubtedly. on the magazine. So yeah, and obviously great time for the women's game um, going forward, but also great to be involved with the men's game. And that's the nice thing, so I would 
about the editorial boards. I think quite a few magazines have editorial boards that don't really mean much and they just sit on them. But the whole point is that we can go to you guys and we ask you what you think we should be covering and we've got a good breadth of cricket uh, amongst our, our board members. So we're, we're kind of ho- hopefully influencing each other. And we've also got a series of uh, foreign correspondents that we're covering cricket all across the world. We've got Adam Collins, who's our Australian correspondent. Neil Manthorpe's covering South Africa for us. Um, a few other ones still being negotiated, but we will have every test nation, um, including Ireland and Afghanistan, uh, covered. Uh, although, actually, if anyone out there knows of an Afghanistan cricket correspondent, I'm we're struggling so far. So, <laughs> it, it, perhaps write in. It's very quickly turn into a personal ad, Yeah, isn't it? tweet us. Um, <laughs> Another thing, we, we, there's a couple of columnists still being wrapped up, but worth mentioning, we've got Jonathan Liu, the chief sports writer of the Independent, signed up as a monthly columnist. He's written a really interesting piece on the England team culture and how that may have led to events in Bristol. Lovely. Uh, Beautiful. Of, a couple of months ago. Month ago. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and the hilarious Andy Zaltzman has written a reflective piece on what 1982 meant to him, the summer of uh, well, another summer of Botham, Imran Khan, Keppel Dev, the summer of the all-rounders, and obviously as it's Zaltzman, it's really, really funny <laughs> as well. I saw him in LA once. What, doing his stand-up? Yeah. Or like across the street, Cri- or uh, no, <laughs> in the show. Literally you like cricket-based yeah. stuff, or the other? No. He's brilliant, isn't he? Yeah. I saw, him, I saw him do a stand-up in Mumbai, and he made jokes about Tendulkar, and the crowd were actually laughing. Oh. Couldn't believe it. Can't do that. Can't get away with anything nowadays, can you? So, so anyway, that's, that's that, Vish. That is our that is our first issue. Almost going to bed now, um, uh, and long may all this continue. This is the plan for WCM. Um, we have Johnny Bairstow interviewed for the second issue as well. His new book is out. Um, it's an astounding piece of work uh, documenting um, his his father's suicide and 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 how the family has managed to. To, to ride out their grief and, and, and his own personal journey as well. Uh, and you see a new side to him, really. You know, he's, he's, he's been quite a buttoned-up character up until now, and now it's all coming out. And, and I interviewed him at the Cheltenham Literary Festival on Sunday last week. So this, that piece will be coming uh, into the mid-ashes issue, which is mid, mid-December. So, so a lot of good stuff taking place. Um, uh, and onwards and upwards, as they say. And with regards to the website as well, I mean, this is well, you'll be listening to this podcast for a start anyway. But Yeah, so we're re- wisdom.com has really just served to sell the almanac for the last few years, but we're relaunching wisdom.com with uh, interviews, features, match reports. Really re- long podcasts. Regular yeah. columnists, extremely long podcasts <laughs> on a regular basis. 47 minutes so far. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, loads to keep coming back to for wisdom.com, particularly over the ashes as well. We'll have a couple of specialist uh, columnists lined up. Well, that's great to hear. Well, I, you know, I'm, I'll take the hint and probably call this to a halt then. <laughs> Phil Walker, thank you very much for your time. Joe Harmon, thank you very much for your time. You. Isha Gua, thank you very much for the room, your time, and your expertise. I'm Vidushan Hantaraja. This has been the first episode of the Wisdom Podcast. I thought it's gone quite well. It's been all right. Mm. Yeah. Something to work with. You yeah. <laughs> you got to put a good song on the end of this. Yeah, yeah. If you've got any, you're, you know, you're a woman who knows her music. If you've got any. Yeah, that, that reminds me, of course, Felix White, the great Felix White, yeah. Matt Maccabee's guitarist, and, and out for the, out sick, the sickeningly well. good uh, cricket writer to boot as well, uh, provides a bit of music for these these shows traditionally. He's also uh, on board for the new magazine, 
Um, he's interviewing Sebastian Fultz, followed by Jimmy Anderson, followed by Gary Neville. I mean, what, 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 what say, if, if that doesn't leave you wanting more, then nothing will. From us, from all of us, goodbye. <laughs> Podcast Network.